Welcome, one and all, to the Last Ones in Podcast. I am Dry Archuleta, joined today by... Nobody? I guess? Yeah. Turns out it was a little difficult to get the whole crew together, or to find a, a crew, really, this week. So, I just wanted to go ahead and talk about some things that I've been watching, you know? I've been watching quite a few things recently. I mean, maybe not quite a few things, but there are some things that I've been wanting to talk about that I haven't really had a place to talk about them. Some of them are extremely recent. Some of them are things that I just kind of figured I wanted to voice my opinion on a little bit. One of those being is the Stephen Moffat written show that is out on Netflix right now. It came out in 2020, but it's called Inside Man, starring David Tennant and Stanley Tucci. I believe Stanley Tucci? Yeah, Stanley Tucci. And a whole bunch of other people in there. But those are the two main people. Uh, David Tennant playing Harry Watling, which is a vicar. And Stanley Tucci playing Jefferson Grief, who is a man on death row. He, um... The man on death row, Stanley Tucci's character. Is kind of a Sherlock character. For those who don't know Stephen Moffat, which I guess I should say that, Stephen Moffat wrote the hugely widely acclaimed BBC Sherlock show that brought Benedict Cumberbatch and um, Martin Freeman to true stardom. They were in roles before that, but I think that that's really where they really fucking hit it off. So yeah, he wrote that. He was also a writer for some hundred and some odd episodes of Doctor Who, as well as writing a, I believe it was a Netflix series, TV miniseries, that was just called Dracula. At least it was on Netflix here in the United States. I'm not sure if it were, if it, if it were, if it was a Netflix thing anywhere else. I think it was most likely BBC, if I were to take a really big guess on that one. But he wrote that as well, to uh, middling views, I would say. Middling expectations, even. But Inside Man is a four-episode miniseries, I would say. TV miniseries, TV event, whatever that even means anymore with streaming nowadays. And they're all an hour long, and it's just about, uh, mild spoilers, the vicar, played by David Tennant, David Tennant, trying to do whatever he can to ensure that his son doesn't go to prison for the rest of his life by any means necessary. And Stanley Tucci's character is a man who is on death row for brutally murdering his wife and desecrating the corpse from the things that we can understand from the little bit that's in there. But, with it being a television show, of course, Stanley Tucci's character is able to still solve crimes and things like that because he was an expert criminologist, I believe it was. And he just is on death row solving crimes and he has a little sidekick buddy that may as well be a fucking Watson character. And it's interesting. It's a very strange show because it has these very 
stylized moments in it. These moments that feel very, I don't know, uncharacteristic to what the rest of the show is. I'm not sure if it's based on something at all. I didn't do that much research into it. <laughs> Meaning I did zero research into it. But it is an extremely dark subject matter that is interwoven with these kind of uh, more ridiculous performances as well as grounded performances. I mean, I'm going to say Santa 2G does an incredible job here, but there's some very comedic dark writing. It's an extremely, extremely dark show. The subject material is dark. The things that you see happen are very dark. It is dark. Adults only for sure. Super, super dark comedy. Super, super dark in every single way possible. It has amazing performances, I'm going to say, from the two mains, David Tennant and Stanley Tucci. They really do bring their A-game on this one. I mean, I haven't seen anything with David Tennant in it yet that I have not liked David Tennant. The man is just pure walking charisma. But he nails his performance as this vicar who is just trying to do whatever he can to save innocent people. He himself being innocent, but taking the, you know, inspiration from the things that he praises and worships and preaches to people, uh, trying to be very self-sacrificing, honestly. I don't want to say too much because I think a lot of the enjoyment in the show is the twists and the turns that you see happen throughout it. It's strange. It's a strange little show. But I liked it a lot. I would highly recommend it to people, with the caveat, of course, being that it is remarkably, remarkably dark. It's super dark, and I'm, I'll say this, it's not exactly a happy ending at all. It's a comedically dark ending, but I would not call it happy. Again, that first one is Inside Man. So check that out. It's in the in the states, United States. It's on Netflix. I'm not sure anywhere else in any other place. So yeah, look into that if you're looking for something with some really strong, I would say, standout performances from a couple of actors that are really uh, buying into the material and giving it everything they have there. Uh, another thing I watched was actually a film, an extremely, extremely indie film that by now you've probably heard of. If you're listening to a podcast about movies and television shows and whatnot. But it is the wildly, um, I don't know if I'd say popular, but wildly viral, at the very least, movie, Skinamarink. I had the luck to go and see one of the theater screenings, because they're very, very limited. And I went and watched that one with a group of friends. Uh, Dion, who has been on the podcast a couple of times, been on a couple of our streams as well. He was there with the group with me. And he came out, I think, being the most middling of everybody who went to see it. I came out just uh, broken. A a little broken. Just a little broken, I guess is uh, a good way to, to put it. It's it's 100% a very experimental horror movie, Skinamarink is. It is directed and written by Kyle, De- Kyle Edward Ball. He also has a YouTube channel for his stuff, Kyle Edward Ball does, of these small little nightmare type things. 
It's called Bite Size Nightmares. It's on YouTube. He has like 11,000 subscribers at this point. I'm guessing it's going to start rising up quite a bit now. But yeah, he did, he did a feature film, Skinamarink. He has a whole bunch of stuff on his YouTube channel that is extremely similar to it in a way that you can you can see shots that he's been experimenting with and contrasting of light and things like that. It feels like a very, very experimental horror movie. And by that I mean, if you go in expecting a studio horror movie, I think you're going to come out being extremely bored, angry, disappointed, because it's not that. It is a person who has spent time perfecting the craft of atmosphere, which I think is what Skinamarink nails so much. Not just atmosphere, but the atmosphere of dread, of a, of a very specific feeling, of being alone as a child in a dark, quiet, cold house. And I don't know if you, the listener, have experienced that exact feeling before. But there's this strange feeling of, even if there's people in the house with you, this extreme feeling of loneliness and emptiness that I think you only do feel as a kid in that, in that exact way. It's, it's a fear you can't explain, and it's a fear that you can't, at least for me, a fear that I've never been able to get away from, or a fear that I've never been able to experience as an adult. Adult. Even though I've tried, I've tried. I love horror movies. I hunt down horror movies all the time. I try to find the best horror movie experiences, and I just I haven't been able to find anything that quite hit me like Skinamarink did. I gotta say, I do not spook easily with horror movies. I really don't. Skinamarink fucked me up. Man, did it fuck me up. I got maybe two hours of sleep that night, the night that I watched Skinamarink. Because there's this nightmare quality to the entire thing. If you if you have night terrors, or if you have sleep apnea, sleep apnea? I don't think that's the right one. <laughs> the one where you feel uh, stuck in, in place and you can't be able to sleep. Sleep paralysis. If you have sleep paralysis, I don't think you should watch this movie. If you have a fear of the dark, I don't think you should watch this movie. I think this movie will put you over the edge, honestly. I think it'll make you be unable to process your own emotions in a a very strange way. I say all of that telling you that this movie barely has a narrative. It has a narrative if, if if you decide to start linking at things, the most narrative you're going to get is probably out of the IMDb description, which I'll read to you right here. Two children wake up in the middle of the night to find their father is missing, and all the windows and doors in their home have vanished. That's it. It's There's barely any dialogue. I think I was reading, there's something like less than 500 words. Words, not lines, not phrases, not pages. <laughs> words. Less than 500 individual words in the entire movie. That's an hour and 40 minutes. That's insane. That's no dialogue at all. And most of the dialogue, I would say probably a good 60% of it, there is subtitles accompanied with it. 
because you can't really make it out if you were just listening to it. You'd be lucky if you could make it out. And if it were on a YouTube page, I think you'd be more comfortable with letting it sit there and be what it is, maybe. But with it being a feature film, you can't just leave your audience completely in the dark, even though it is an extremely experimental feature film that was crowdfunded, which, by the way, crowdfunded for $15,000 and made, at the point of this recording, $1.5 million in the box office. Fucking insane. Those numbers are insane, unheard of. Except for a couple of instances, Blair Witch Project being the most outstanding, as well as Paranormal Activity. Need a drink of water here very quickly. But there aren't a lot of movies that that do this, that can get away with being not just that experimental, but with being so profitable off of something that I'm going to say, not a general audience movie. And it got this very strange wide release as if it were a general audience movie because of the virality that uh, places like TikTok and YouTube Shorts and uh, various YouTubers were able to to shine a light onto it. I myself would not have heard of this movie if I had not seen that a couple of YouTubers had had talked about it, honestly. It's it shows that these very small campaigns, these very small campaigns of fans coming out being like, hey, you need to check this thing out, really can have an effect, a life-changing effect. This man, this man's life, Kyle Edward Ball, his life's not going to be the same anymore. He has, from this one movie and this very persistent YouTube channel, now created a career for himself. And don't get it wrong, it is for himself, that career, that the career that he's going to have was very extremely self-made, all with the help of his very dedicated fan base that was able to, uh, you know, essentially donate money to get this project going, crowdfund this project. And it's incredible. It's amazing. This is the kind of indie filmmaking that, that people talk about, that people praise, the people from from the early 90s scene, the Kevin Smiths, the Tarantinos. This is... This is the kind of thing that creates those kind of people because it's this very small, tiny little thing that made tons and tons and tons and tons of money. And the fact that it was horror, I think, means it's probably going to be overlooked by most most people. I think even within the horror community, it's going to be overlooked because it's it's so atmospheric. You see very little. Even the things that you're seeing in this movie, it's shot in such a way to where you can barely tell it out. It is purposely grainy. It is purposely out of focus in a lot of places. It is purposely, I think, difficult. It is made in a way to where if you're going to watch it and really dedicate yourself to it, dedicate your time to it, dedicate your brain power to it, you're going to have to really really pay attention and be absorbed in it. And the audio and the visuals are in such a way that they sync up and it's almost hypnotizing. I'm not going to say beautiful because it's it's horrific in a very, very strange way. I think which is why the, the title of it, Skinamarink, is so clever in my mind. 
Skinnamarink, the the song obviously Skinnamarink, a dinky dink, Skinnamarink a do, is so associated with childhood and childhood behavior that I think that that's the perfect name for this because this is just childhood fear, really. This entire movie, it's genius. I really loved it. It's not going to be for everybody. It's going to be. Very, it's going to be for very few people. But for the people who it's for, man, like me, it's gonna just hit all the right spots. And it did. It fucked me up. It made me keep the light on at night in the next room so I could basically have a night light. That's what this movie did to me. It's it's incredible. Like go go check out go check out his YouTube page. Again, that's Kyle Edward Ball. If you just type in Kyle Edward Ball into YouTube or Google, it'll take you right to his YouTube page. Tons and tons of stuff that are very similar to Skinnamarink. Though I think Skinnamarink and its audio and its visuals is a step above anything he has ever done before. To a very clear extent. It's it is impressive for what this thing is, and I I think this just created a subgenre of horror films. One that I'm excited to see people re, uh, to to work on and and see what other subtly shocking imagery they can get out of it, out of this kind of genre. It's it's incredible. So that's that one's Skinnamarink. Kyle Edward Ball wrote directed. Check it out if you are a horror fan. It's going to be coming to Shutter very soon. I believe it's coming out to Shutter in February, if I'm not mistaken. So. Definitely, definitely keep an eye out for that. Let's see. The other big one that I have that I have watched that I want to talk about that also came out very, very recently. I watched it very quickly because it's a very quick and easy show to watch. There are 10 episodes for this show. It is That 90s Show on Netflix. Netflix, quote-unquote, original. Uh, there are 30-minute episodes. There's 10 episodes, so it takes just a few hours to get through the entire season. And in that 90s show, we are following Eric Foreman, played by Tova Grace, and um, Donna Pinciotti, played by Lauren Preppen. Uh They reprise their roles for this. Topher Grace only comes back for an episode. They're uh, all the main cast, except for one very obvious exception. The actor who played Hyde um, did not return for this. Not his own wishes, the wishes of everybody involved from the sounds of it, because he did a lot of terrible things to a lot of people. And so they, he was not wanted to be involved at all. <laughs> but everybody else from the main cast from the show does return. And even just, honestly, just for slight cameos, for the most part. The only, the, Three people from the original cast that are in there, the mo- or four people, I should say, actually, that are in there from the original cast that are in there the most are Donna Pensiotti, Fez, Kitty Foreman, and Red Foreman. They're the original cast that's in there the most. Kitty and Red are in every single episode. They are, they didn't miss a beat, man. Deborah, Joe Rupp playing Kitty, and Kurtwood Smith playing Red. They did not miss a beat. It feels like uh, uh, the, the week before they started doing this, they were still doing that 70s show. They just fall right into those characters so perfectly. They are a treat to watch in this because they're still so, so funny. They have their comedic timing down. Uh, from what I understand, they really were huge 
on making sure that this thing uh, got out and became be- became uh, the thing that I want. They were they were having a huge push for this being a thing. Uh, but yes, <clears throat> we follow Eric and Donna's child, Leia, foreman. That is named Leia, uh, which I will say my wife Liz hated that. Hated that they named her Leia, which I I get. I understand. Super super nerdy. Take another drink of water here. I'm talking a whole lot. <clears throat> Very chlorine-y. Ah, don't like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, the following her, she is visiting her grandparents for the summer. Originally, it was supposed to be just for the 4th of July weekend, the parents and the grandparents having a good time, but she ends up meeting a whole cast of characters, a whole group of new teens that we're going to be following throughout the show, and she just falls in love with the whole group and the whole dynamic, and so she wants to spend the summer there. And so she does, instead of going to space camp with her father, Eric. And you meet a whole new cast of kids. You have Callie Haverda playing Leia Foreman, Ashley. I'm gonna I'm going to ruin this name, and I do apologize so so much. Ashley Ofteride, I believe is how it's pronounced. I don't know though. Playing Gwen, uh, Mace Colonel playing Jay Kelso because the Kelso's kid is in there, obviously. Rain Doe playing Ozzy, Sam Morello's playing Nikki, Maxwell Ace Donovan playing Nate, and then you have. Nikki and Nate's parent, uh, Sherry Runk, played by Andreas, Andrea Anders. And at first, I will say, this cast was having a pretty hard time winning me over, I'll be honest. I think the first three or four episodes, I was kind of not feeling it. I was watching those ones a little slower than the other ones. <laughs> but after that, the show really did kind of win me over. It started having that kind of bite that that 70s show had again. And it started having that, that oomph, that like drive, that feeling of like rebellious youth in a very strange way. Um, and, and that inquisitive nature of, of growing up and going through puberty and going through all of that and like exploring your hormones. I think it really started to, to have that feeling again. A really exciting feeling of like, oh man. Like, this this cast is really getting to know each other. This cast is really working well together. Like, they have really great chemistry. The two people, actually three people that I absolutely really, really, really love from the new teen cast are Sam Morello's playing Nikki, Maxwell Ace Donovan playing Nate, and Rain Doe playing Ozzy. I think they are all so, so good and so funny. Uh, Ozzy, especially, I think is easily my favorite character in the whole thing. He's just super, super funny. Uh, really great. It's uh, It has all of those normal dynamics that you're going to get from any kind of teen comedy or sitcom or anything like that. It's going to have the will they, won't they, the love triangle. It's going to have all of that because it absolutely has to. Those are the rules. You write these shows, those are the rules. you got to do it. There are some things that I didn't like about it. Um, I think some of the writing in a couple of places is really, really corny. I think they try a few things to really hit it close to home like, hey, man, this is so 90s. In a way that I feel like that 70s show didn't quite force nearly as much in for most of it. But I feel like that 90s show forces a whole lot of it in there. References to very specific 
very, very, very specific 90s things that people are nostalgic about. Very, I don't know. I don't want to use the word cringy because it's not cringy, but just kind of the like it makes you feel like this feels false in a couple of writing spots with the references to the 90s and the things happening in the 90s. Um, some of the acting I don't love, I'll say Callie Haverda playing Leia Foreman is a bit wooden in some places. She feels like she um is too in on the joke for her character. Like she she doesn't play it nearly as straight as she should for a lot of it, I think. And I think that kind of hurts the the geeky lead actor lead actress role a lot in this kind of thing because she's supposed to be the one that's never done anything with her life and it it kind of does does halt some of the uh some of that in there the thing that they also shoehorn in and i'm gonna say shoehorn in because i don't think it works most of the time is the smoke circle it's in i'm gonna say a majority of the episodes i think it's in like eight of the ten but Every time it's in there, it feels remarkably forced. And the jokes don't quite land as much in those places. And I don't know if that's just because it became such an incredible, perfect, amazing staple of that 70s show. And it worked so well there and fit so well there. But I just feel like the 90s style humor they're going for, the 90s references they're going for, stuff like that, doesn't quite work in that smoke circle. It also seems like maybe... All of the actors aren't there all together at the same time, which I think does also hurt line delivery and flow and stuff like that. Overall, though, that 90s show, very good, very promising. Wilmer Valderrama, I mean, I'm going to say also as Fez in this. He's in three episodes as Fez. Fucking nails it, man. So, so freaking funny still. Like, he, he really is super, super funny. The last little thing that I want to talk about is a show, Netflix show again. I watched a lot of Netflix recently called Alice in Borderlands. I watched season one while I was uh, sick not too long ago. And then I was very lucky, I'm going to say, that season two came out so quickly after I had uh, first watched that. Because I did not anticipate that. did not expect that to be a thing. I just remember my sister Sam bringing it up to me a whole lot, being like, hey, Alice in Borderlands is pretty fun. I'm watching this. Um, So I just decided to give it a shot. I absolutely loved it. There are only two seasons. It looks like it's going to be just the two seasons. Uh, season two uh, leaves it open to more, but I don't know if I would want more. I think it's actually a very, very good ending season two is to the story. The story being, of course, that there are these three friends and they are in trouble running away from the cops after just being kind of delinquents in their little area. And when they run away from the cops, they are teleported or transported or transferred to another dimension. Which is where you get the whole Alice from the Alice in Borderlands reference in there. And while they're in this other dimension, there are these games they have to play. And these games are, very literally, life or death games. Think very squid games, think very saw. They have to go in. 
and play these games. Now you might be thinking to yourself, whoa, 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 Jeremiah, whoa. Why do they got to play these games if they're stuck there? If that kills them, why would they ever play these games? Well, great. I'd love, I'd love that you asked that. That's amazing. Very inquisitive of you. The reason why is because they have these passports. And after so much time, their passwords expire. And when their passwords expire, a giant laser shoots out from the sky and goes right through their head and kills them instantly if their passport expires. Many of that, many, that same thing happens in the games if they don't die in the game in another fashion. So, it is very much so a life or death situation. Now, this show is gory as all hell. Very, very gory. Very, very violent. Extremely violent show. So, if you are taken aback by anything like that, do not go check it out. But, I honestly really loved it. I think that it was really, really good. It was not perfect. No, 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 no. Not perfect at all. But, I liked it a lot. I think season one had a lot of things that I don't really like in a lot of, like, these kinds of shows, these kind of dramas. Um, Of it just being, like, too much. How do I... Hmm. I don't know how to explain it, really. It's in a lot of, like, Japanese dramas or, like, anime. But it just feels so melodramatic. That's what it is. It feels very melodramatic on things that shouldn't be so melodramatic. And sometimes it fits, sometimes it doesn't. I'm going to say most of the time it does not. But... I did like it a lot. Season 2 is a lot stronger than Season 1 because it gives all the characters more time. Season 1 felt like something that was very much designed to be a regular television show and then Netflix got it. Whereas Season 2 feels like it was very much designed to be a binged show. So Season 1, I think it's 8 episodes, something like that. 6 or 8 episodes. And they're 37 to like an hour long episodes. 37 minutes to an hour long episodes. And... They all feel, like, very restricted, almost. Like, they had to rush things along, get the story going. Season 2, the episodes go anywhere between 47 minutes to an hour and a half. And most of them moving towards the hour and a half thing. Which is good, because they, they do wrap it up. I mean, again, it might get another season. I hope it doesn't, I think, maybe. Because I think it ended pretty well. But it might. And in those seasons, they really concentrate on very specific games, very long games, very taxing games, because all these games that they're going around playing are, um, well, I can't spoil that. It'd be a huge spoiler if I told you that, wouldn't it? But these games that they're playing are extremely important to be playing. So in season two, they concentrate on much larger scale games emotionally. Because they've all known each other, so there, there, there are these relationships that are intertwined between everything. In season one, you're getting to know everybody. Every episode has like one game, and it's either going to be like a really big game where a bunch of people are dying, or a very small game where a few people die very brutally. 
but it doesn't concentrate on them nearly as much or the scenarios within those games. Season 2 very, very much so does. To the point to where most of the games take that entire episode and then a few, maybe 10-15 minutes from the next episode even. It's very bingeable. It makes you want to keep going. I, it makes you want to keep going so much. I watched all of Season 2 in two days. It's very, very good. Season 2 ramps up the gore factor, the violence factor, the, the drama, the fighting, the everything. All of it is ramped up to a million in a way that I loved. I think it fits everything that's happening. I loved it. It's on Netflix in the U.S. I don't know where else it is anywhere else. But in the U.S., Netflix series, very good. Highly recommend it if you love things like Squid Game or Saw or uh, for you weird anime people out there. This is one of the few animes that I have reference to, Gantz. It's very, very similar to Gantz in a lot of ways as well. So check that out if you're interested in that kind of stuff. I really, really liked it. I would recommend it to a lot of people. It does have some English voiceover if you prefer. I watch subtitles because it's just... Just gets you into it more. If you can't read very fast, I get it. That's kind of the one thing that keeps people out of subtitles a lot is they can't read and pay attention to the action going on on screen. But if you're fine with that, then it's, it's more than suitable. But yeah, that's just some stuff that I've been watching. Wanted to get it out there, get something out there for you guys on a Thursday so you're not just left with nothing thinking that we all just forgot about you. <laughs> uh, check those things out. Again, that was Skinamarink, that seven or that 90s show, rather. Inside Man and Alice in Borderlands. So most of those are available on Netflix, except for Skinamarink, which will be available on Shudder exclusively sometime in February of 2023. I believe it's supposed to be February anyway. So keep an eye out for all those things. Uh, thank you guys for being around here. As Robbie would say, if it's your first time or you've been with us since the very beginning, thank you so much. Uh, stay safe out there. We'll be back with more regular episodes very, very soon. We're going to keep it a little bit light because our first episodes of the year were very, very dark, very, very heavy. So we're going to go a little lighter for a few. We have a couple of big things planned. We have another series. I, uh, what was it, 2021? We did the Watching Every Star Wars movie in chronological story order instead of release order. Um, we're going to do something very similar with a filmmaker's entire whatever it's called oeuvre so keep an eye out for that we're going to be starting that very soon we're going to have to pack a couple in for a couple of months on those because uh, a lot of movies there and we're already almost in February so there you go but yeah, talk to you guys all very, very soon. Have a good one. Check out our Twitch channel. We have a link tree, linktree, forward slash LOIP. You can take all of our socials and uh, YouTube and Twitch and all that good stuff. So keep an eye out for that stuff. All right. Everybody have a good one. Talk to you later. Bye.